With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. And we're just going to talk about one thing today. We've been doing rapid fire on Thursdays the past couple weeks. But we have one overarching thing, which is about you guys. It's about us. It's about the way college football works. And it's how you try to put a team like Ohio State in context early in the season. How good are they? Are their problems real? The level of competition affects everything. Are you playing down to the competition? Then you see... Well, Notre Dame lost to Marshall and Alabama should have lost to Texas and Oregon got blown out, blown out by Georgia and Wisconsin lost to Washington state and all these different things that that context matters. And so Nathan, um, this is something that I felt like in the heyday of the trestle era, this is what life was like eight weeks out of 12, where it felt like you were covering a good team that was winning fairly easily, but not playing that great. That happened all the time with Trestle. They beat somebody from the MAC 20 to 2. It's like, what do you do with that? It's an 18-point win, but my God, what was that? That happened all the time. And we're not here to I, I do want to talk a little bit about like sort of like the perspective from our job. You know, it's like what fans think of it, but what we're trying to do, we're trying to interpret this team with our the fact that we're around them, we're paid to do this. We put more time into it just because the other people, the fans have lives. These are, this is our, our work life, but it can be hard. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for us. I'm not trying to say that like, oh, poor us, but covering a team that didn't play its best, but won easily is perhaps my least favorite kind of sporting event to cover. And I have done it thousands of times it feels like as an Ohio State football writer and I wasn't there on Saturday as people know but it feels like that's what you guys kind of did on Saturday what is that like in your mind Nathan how do you think about it as you try to go about deciding what you're going to write what you're going to talk about after a game like that it's been interesting to cover Ohio State considering the experience I had right before this, where you're covering a football program where no win can be taken for granted, like in any capacity, like there's no such thing as a bad win for some programs, like any win you can get if and you're trying to get the six as if you possibly can. 
And that's obviously not the perspective here. So I try to go into every game, uh, as we've talked about many times, whether we're talking about recruiting, whether we're talking about individual performance, and whether we're talking about game performance, you're only judging them against the Ohio State standard. And it's hard in these early games because you're trying to substitute well, what would Alabama or Georgia have done with Ohio State's performance if you just sub all of them, sub those rosters in for what Arkansas State did? It's a complete impossible thing, really, to visualize. But at the end of the day, that's almost what you have to do it, to some extent. But you also have to remember that it, it's a process, too. We're only two games in, and it's a team that is becoming the team that would eventually need to beat those teams. Steven, this is... You know, you at Kent State, when you were covering that in college, right? That's like a very different beast. Yeah. This is the only team at college, the college football level that you've dealt with as a beat writer. What's your perspective on it? It's very easy to get nitpicky when you cover this team. And sometimes I think you can go overboard with the nitpicky in a way where you have to kind of just say, stop. Like, can we, let's not always have this like, macro view of things in terms of even Nathan just kind of said it, but what would Georgia have done with what would Alabama have done? And I think, especially the post game pods, we do that a lot when we also didn't watch Alabama and Georgia play that day. (laughs) So we don't actually know if they looked any better than Ohio state did. And so the, but that's just, that comes with covering Ohio state a lot of time, whether you're a fan or you're a person who covers it, like we do, it's very easy to get nitpicky when a team scores 45 points, when you think they should have scored 60. So the one thing, and again, one of the reasons we're doing this and, you know, I, I didn't really watch any college football this weekend, but I've gone back and, and I've watched stuff. I watched the Ohio state game. I watched into the middle of the fourth quarter. Uh, I went back and I watched most of the Texas Alabama game. I watched a lot of the BYU, almost all basically of the BYU Baylor game. And when Alabama has a game like it did on Saturday, that affects Ohio state Bama had two scored on its first two drives and then punted the next six possessions. They gained a combined 23 yards on those next six possessions. If Ohio state went six straight possessions, punting the ball against in a game where they were favored by 20, the way Alabama was against Texas. Now listen, Texas is better than Arkansas state, but people thought Alabama was going to go in there and blow the doors off of Texas. Right. We know there's a level of talent that's different than, you know, a, a group of five program, but Alabama was expected to dominate and Alabama should have lost. If Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, Alabama would have lost. If Bryce Young wasn't a magician, Alabama would have lost. So we've spent a lot of time in my, in my time on the beat playing, playing, would that beat Bama? We're not playing that anymore. We're playing, would that beat Georgia? That we're, we're like, like Georgia, I think is different. And I just want to lay this context on people right now. I just finished taping the Wednesday uh, afternoon college football survivor show where Shahan Haraja and I rank all the playoff contenders every week. So we only have 10 teams that we consider playoff contenders. We never considered Notre Dame a playoff contender. For instance, we never considered Oregon a playoff contender. We only have 10 playoff contenders. Georgia was clearly number one for both of us. I think Georgia at the moment is in a tier by itself. Both of us, Nathan ranked Ohio state second. So I think you could make a Michigan case, a BYU case, a Bama case, a USC case, a Clemson case right there. All I think, I think all those teams 
are in a tier with Ohio State. But in trying to figure out, well, Bama should have lost, well, BYU, okay, but is there a level of talent compared to Ohio State? Michigan's looked pretty good. They've played horrible to proponents so far, right? Ohio State's second. So that's valuable context. Now, I can still come on here and nitpick Ohio State, right? But you do have to remember, I think there's two contexts that matter. Ohio State's own standard and what's going on nationally, right? Obviously, those are the two. And right now, after a weekend like we just had, where Wisconsin, that I was fired up about Wisconsin last year, they laid an egg. Stuff like that, right? Iowa stinks. Nebraska stinks. Northwestern stinks. Right? They all have terrible losses. That national context does matter, Nathan. And it is worth remembering that, like, lots of teams look bad in a certain week. And so Ohio State hasn't been perfect so far. And I have a stat I want to talk about. But the national context does influence how we view this. And that takes sometimes a couple days of evaluation and distance, because as Stephen was saying, right after the game, we don't know what happened anywhere else, really. Again, we're only two games in. So things like you brought up the point spread in like the Alabama, Texas game. Uh, but those point spreads are still kind of a work in progress. Go, you'll talk to Tishu later this week, probably about something like this on the gambling show, because those things he even said this week, like he put out his power rankings, like, well, Notre Dame is way too high, but it's still a lot of noise from preseason is in here. And once that gets weeded out, they're going to plummet down these rankings, but that's how they come up with those point spreads. So like that stuff throws it off because, you know, they're supposed to beat Arkansas state by 44, according to the point spread. And if you have that in the back of your mind, it can, it can affect how you look at a game. Uh, but also like, again, there's, they're just those individual. Cause I was going back and forth with some fans this weekend about how, uh, why, why is Alabama not plummeting for beating an unranked team? I'm like, well, it depends on who you ask. Some people had them ranked. I had them in my top 20 last week. So as a voter, I look at that as a better win. It's there. There are still a just a, a wide variety of opinions right now that are based on not a lot of data. And we're still accumulating data, both about Ohio State and about teams at large to figure out what's what. I'm trying to think back to last year. I mean, we're, we're two weeks in last year and, you know, it, it looks like, you know, Clemson was ranked pretty high going into that first game still. And then we see them on the field against Georgia. And as good as that Georgia defense was, people were like, oh, wait, that ain't it. And you you adjust. And it, we're still in the process of doing that because that even coming out of that Notre Dame win, that's maybe that's the best example. Coming out of that Notre Dame win, you think, well, that's still that's actually a pretty good win for Ohio State. Maybe they didn't do some things, but hey, a top five team, maybe Notre Dame's going to hang around and, and be in the mix. And then the next week they do what they did, losing at home to Marshall. And you're like, oh, that's now we have another piece of data that affects the first piece of data. I just, I think part of this is, so basically every year since us three have been together, there's been a super team every year. Well, it was LSU in 19, Bama 2020. There wasn't really a super team, but like there was a super unit in Georgia that kind of was like, Oh, okay. Who can, if you can't compete with that, that's it's over with while well, house it out the other side of that. I don't know if there's a super team yet after two weeks, at least not one that's flashed, but Ohio state's offense should be the super unit. And they've been missing the best part of that unit. So that maybe throws it off a little bit as we think about Ohio State. Is I that we have yet, yeah. yet to see them at full. We don't even know what their best looks like yet because we, we saw 15 snaps of it. No, I, I, I think that's fair. Also, I mean, I do get some of the stuff was like, well, how come Alabama? It's like we did. Alabama did fall. And again, people, I just, I'm, I'm telling you people, and I'd say it to you, I say it on here all the time. And then some people don't listen. Like, Ohio, you use the word plummet, Nathan. And I know it was just like, 
They went from two to three because Georgia beat a top 15 team by four million and deserved to be ranked ahead of Ohio State. And guess what? Georgia is now ranked ahead of Alabama, too. So Alabama moved down after barely beating Texas. So like sometimes like I understand sometimes what some Ohio State people are saying, but also then they cut the legs out of their own argument because it's like, well, how about this? Like, well, it did happen. You just have to wait for the rankings to come out. And when Shahan and I go listen to the Survivor Show, I hope you're trying it. Go listen to the Survivor Show on Wednesday. Shahan and I had Ohio State second. We just had Bama sixth. So, yeah, it matters. I thought Bama had huge holes on Saturday that, that are not just their best receiver is hurt, right? I, yeah. the, the things that Ohio State is working out, there's more of an explanation for some of the stuff that Bama is having trouble with, I don't know how they fix it necessarily. So, like, yes, everybody, we see it. But give us a couple days to react to it and put it in context. But if you think that Ohio State, only Ohio State, falls in the polls after beating – it's not true. Like, it's not true. So don't – sometimes I – again, I understand what you're saying, Ohio State fans, but don't, don't ruin your own argument by going too far. Bama might legitimately be offensively the Bryce Young show, and let's he's hope. a miracle yeah. worker. I mean, it was a it was an impressive play, um, and like there was a lot of even like see CJ can't do that. Well, CJ doesn't have to do that because his tackles aren't are good. <laughs> like his offensive line is actually pretty good, and when he scrambles, he throws the ball. So it, it, to your point of like. Stop looking at Bama and just like focus on Ohio no State no for a little that's bit. no well not like, us not but, no not us not us just like fans stop worrying so much about what Alabama is or is it is is or isn't happening to Alabama no, that is not at all what I'm saying you think that's, that's what, what Ohio saying. State you think Ohio State fans should do that yes and what and and just watch the Toledo game and be like yeah we beat Toledo I think they should stop using Alabama as the benchmark this year. And as you said earlier, can that beat Georgia? I think Georgia might be the benchmark because right now they're the only team who has looked quality on both sides of the ball through two weeks. Well, if, but so you, but if you're coming off Bama as the benchmark, like we're doing it now this week for the first time in 15 years, because they had a bad game against Texas. Yes. Yes. Just right now. I'm not saying in totality. Also, if you don't kill Bama, when you have a chance, they're going to rise up and, and get that you. That's true. So, they should have lost to Auburn last year, and then they didn't. And then they won the SEC title game and beat Georgia. So, like, good luck to the rest of the world now that Texas left Bama off the mat because Texas missed a 20-yard field goal, and they had to play their limping backup quarterback because Quinn Ewers got hurt. So who knows what Bama's going to be now. But Bama's not perfect. But listen, we have to go by what we see in front of us. And after week one, it was like Bama took care of business, and Ohio State struggled. And listen, I we understand also about Notre Dame. Ohio State – had to run a ridiculous scramble drill from its own 24-yard line and have a miracle play by C.J. Stroud to Mayan Williams to prevent themselves from having to punt to Notre Dame only up four in the fourth quarter. So, like, whatever this, whatever that, it's like they were on the edge of setting themselves up to have an opportunity to lose. That's what matters, right? Now, the Michigan thing is difficult. I've been getting some stuff, Nathan, about, like, people are like, oh, because I'm very, I'm very intrigued by Michigan at this point because they figured out the quarterback thing. Michigan's schedule is horrendous, Nathan. Hawaii is like a high school team. And Colorado State's almost as bad. And UConn's a half step up as who, who they get in, in on Saturday in week three. So, yes, I get all that, which also, Nathan, makes a lot of this difficult. I don't know what Michigan would have looked like against Notre Dame. I have a pretty good idea what Ohio State would have looked like against Hawaii. Absolutely, positively dominant. But given what Michigan's had to play, 
I think they've worked out their quarterback situation. I think their receivers and running backs look pretty good. I think their defense looks like, okay, they have some dudes. And so that's what we know so far based on who they play. But of course, Michigan's played nobody so far. Well, we're trying to do a lot of transitive theory stuff here. And it's so hard in college football where everything is so spread out. You'll get Alabama beats Utah State 55 to nothing. And you look at that and you're like, well, that's what they're supposed to beat them by. I mean, it's 55 to nothing. Like the only thing that they could do more than that would be almost like insulting to, to beat them by more. But then Utah State, so, but then Utah State loses to Weber State. So is that, which is like an FCS team, although a decent one, like a perennial playoff contender. But like, is that, does that undermine how good we think Alabama is? And, and, and obviously now everything that's happening with, with Notre Dame. And I think it's, it, it's, it's hard to make these comparisons right now. Um, but what we're supposed to be trying to do also is make the evaluation about Ohio State that's right in front of us. And, and kind of evaluate that in a little bit of a vacuum based on just knowing football and, 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 and being around the team and reporting on the team and what, what their expectations are. I think coming out of that game, it was pretty clear that uh, they were certainly happy to win, but it wasn't a performance that a lot of players were talking excitedly about after the game. A couple things from the tech subscribers. So I do the rant podcast on Wednesday. People send in their rants and and takes, and I saved all the rants and takes in this area for this, because I wanted the three of us to discuss this from the 419. Can we strike a balance between being critical from a place of care and being critical just for the sake of being critical? That's my rant and take. I, I don't, I understand expressing that idea, but I don't, I don't know what that means exactly, Nathan, because every time we're critical is because we're trying to look big picture and we're saying, is that going to be good enough in the long term? Or is this something against a better opponent that could hold them back? That is absolutely the thought that is in my head. Every time I say something about Ohio State isn't good enough. It's will it cost them against a better team? The idea of like we're being critical just to be critical. I don't like who would why would we do that? Who thinks that's fun? I don't know. Right. And I think that would also be um, pretty transparent. I mean, I would actually I would have people go back and like read what we wrote. I should have done it. I meant to do it. Read what we wrote after the Michigan State game, which was essentially what we wrote immediately after the first half of the Michigan State game last year, because that game was over. That game was over well before that. Like, I don't know if I watched a snap of football in the second half of that game because I was just writing about how it was 49 nothing and half time and it looked like this team that had had these struggles early on oh my god they've arrived right like that defense just went out and and just put Kenneth Walker in a hole in the field and just left him and the offense is bombs away like oh my like it's it's happened like they did it they overcame the early thing and look away and I'm sure that I, I didn't read it I think I wrote it better than that but that's probably roughly what I wrote at the buzzer of that game and then a week later, well, maybe not so much. So, like, sometimes even when we have a lot of data, we don't necessarily evaluate the right way. But it's also nothing's guaranteed. Like, it's they play the games for a reason. So I think coming out of that game on Saturday, I looked at it as, you know, all, all, the, all the ingredients are there in, like, pieces. We saw some really impressive defensive things. We saw Marvin Harrison Jr., like, kind of announcing that the Rose Bowl might not have been a fluke. We have, you know, the Mike Hall things. You've got big blocks on offense um tight end play that's helping the run game like all these positive things but you also had a lot of like sloppy undisciplined stuff and so then the way i analyze it is 
if all that happens against a team where they can't as easily do the big plays, what happens? I think that's a fair thing to ask in September as you're trying to project what, what a season is because immediately after a game is over with Ohio state in September, what happened against Arkansas state is only relevant for what will happen in December. I think what we've seen the first two weeks is intrigue because even with Marvin Harrison, what he did last year, it's like, yeah, but it was against a bunch of running backs playing corner. Of course he did that. And so now him doing it against actual corners is like, okay, there's something real here. Now I want to see you do now. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. Now I want, now I want to see it against like power five competition. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not so sure that like Utah's running backs aren't better than Arkansas State's actual corners, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. But the point is, now I want to see it against Power Five cornerbacks. Even with Mike Hall, wow, he looks amazing. I want to see it against a competent offensive line now. Because even like Notre Dame, eh, that was eh, at best. I want to see it against more. That's where I am now. So it's not necessarily being, you know, critical to be critical. It's just like, okay, we know they can do it, but can they do it against like someone where the talent is at least equated to some level? See, like that, I would dispute, like you're saying Notre Dame's offensive line is eh at best for my call. Kind of eh that game. Notre Dame might have eh, the best offensive line in the country. They've missed Jared Patterson because he was out. See, like that's the kind of thing like that I completely disagree with. Like that to say that my if you're going to say that Notre Dame's offensive line is eh, then like what are we doing? See, like, I Notre Dame's think... offensive line is really good, and Ohio State's defensive line played very well against them. I would take a, I would take a. Now, Jared Patterson was out. I get that, but they have real guys in there. Like I, I think that is real. I don't know that they're going to play offensive lines that are that much better than Notre Dame's the whole year, right? Like, how can we throw away a performance against Notre Dame's offensive line? I know they're Owen too. But like that, we're throwing that away. We're like, we're waiting for better than that. So as you're trying to analyze things, I I think Mike Hall is actually the best example of what we're talking about in some ways, because you can get a stat sheet at the end of a game that says, I mean, I'll just throw it out. Like if somebody had like steel chambers had 10 tackles today, like, well, that doesn't mean anything. Making a decision off of whether somebody accumulated something doesn't tell me anything, but watching Mike Hall do the things he has done the way he has done them. That tells me something that's been a like rich piece of data through these two games that this guy, again, I'm not trying to talk him up just because I drove the bus, but it's been just blatantly obvious that this guy has, he's here. Like he's arrived and it's, it's something special because not because of the competition level, but because what it looks like as he's doing it, he's not just getting a tackle for loss. He's like, just, it's like, a he just has these force of nature moments a little bit. And those are the things that I think you have to look for in these early games. And you're with this team. I think it's still a, a team with such a high ceiling that hasn't set its floor as high as it could probably go yet. I think there are still, because you're asking so much, because Mike Hall is just a second year player. Those ends are second year players. Uh, young guys on this offensive line still. Like it, It's still a work in progress, but I think you're seeing the flashes that you, you want to see. I think it's still also cl- completely fair to say as a, as, a, as a package, that's only good enough to beat Arkansas State the way you did. If not, I mean, at the Alabama game, that's your cautionary tale. If you commit 15 penalties for 100 yards or nine for 85, like Ohio State did, you're on the precipice. And I think that was – I don't know how Ohio State fans didn't watch the Alabama game and then didn't watch the Ohio State game and think, oh, that's almost a little version of that if they were playing somebody better. And Texas is clearly better than Arkansas State. There's a stat I want to talk about and see if we think it means something. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. If you want to be a tech subscriber and contribute to podcasts like this, it's 614-350-3315. Also, we write stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan, anything you want to tease from a story standpoint, either that you already have up there that you're working on? I hope people read the Perry Eliano piece. I, I enjoyed writing it. I kind of tried a little something different with it. I hope people enjoy kind of like this chronological climb that he made through some interesting places to become what he is today. It was six years to the day, to the day, which I didn't realize when I started writing the story. And we ran it this week because of the Mac tie and they're playing to the Mac school. They get just, he's the first game as a defensive quarter of Bowling Green just gets absolutely blasted back to the stone age. It was 77 to 10 or whatever they did just, and he's only there two years and gets fired. And then four years later, he's got sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. And now he's at Ohio state and like how you can have those sort of career reversals, like career setbacks and maybe make a mistake about where you chose to go and, and possibly something knocks you off course. And then now here you are at a place that you it was kind of your dream destination. So anyway, I thought there was some, I enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm writing one for the start of next week about Donovan Jackson, uh, kind of along the, the concept of uh, great running backs at Ohio state, great running backs and offensive line at Wisconsin, I guess, but maybe the most interesting uh, weapon in this run game is actually the sophomore left guard that Ohio state has. So Steven, what do you got popping? on the site that you like would direct people to? Yeah, two things. One, uh, this week I talked with uh, Bryson Rogers, 2023 commit of wide receiver commit. And he is like the outlier for the Brian Hartline recruiting experience. Like as we've talked about numerous times, everybody he's brought in here is in the top 151. And even some of the guys that maybe committed when they were outside of that, like Tiaxa Smith and the Jigba and Keon Grays, they eventually ended up being top 100 kids and five-star recruits. Uh, Bryson Rogers is not that, at least from his rating. He's 223 overall and 29th and one right receivers. And it's kind of like Heartline, he even kept saying this, Heartline's taking a chance on me. Heartline's taking a chance on me. And this idea of we know Heartline can go get the best players in the country. Can he like have a little eye for talent and see something that maybe everybody else isn't seeing? And that feels like that's what the case here with Bryson Rogers. And I kind of break down one, why he's rated that low. And it's a lot of things that go into it. Like he plays for a small school. Uh, Ohio State was kind of late to the game with him a little bit. But then also like from a physical standpoint, he looks like he fits the bill for somebody that Heartline can go later on and be like, see, this is why I don't care about the rankings, the way assistant coaches like to do. So go read that on the site. And then also, um, I've been asking about um, CJ Stroud's 51 yard touchdown to Emeka Ibuka because it's the set's not the same, but the route he ran where it was basically like a fake match drag route. And then he pops up the field. They ran that in 2019 against Wisconsin with Chris Olave. And so I've been asking Dave uh, Stroud about it. And then as we're recording this tonight, I'll be asking Emeka Ibuka about it right now for the morning. So check that out as well. So that does lead to something. I, I want to get to this stat. I want to talk to some other things from the Texers, but, but I, I would say there's two things, right. That, that I try to think about in some of these games when the competition's not as good. Uh, are there great individual performances where guys are winning one-on-one battles, even against lesser competition that you feel like, man, I think that might translate. And then there's, are the 
coordinators or the play callers scheming things up to get guys open, right? That they're creating mm-hmm. opportunities that, man, I can see how that could work. The, the sequence there, which is why I want to talk about it now, Stephen, there was the last play of Arkansas State's offensive series. Knowles put two linebackers in the gaps around the center and blitzed them both and dropped both edge rushers back into coverage and steel chambers got home untouched on a blitz on third down that forced the punt. And then the first play of the offensive series is a Mecca Buka with a corner over him in the slot runs that route against zone coverage gets in the middle of the field where now two linebackers are dealing with him and runs that right up the field and is gone. And I thought it was back to back. Knowles schemed it up for Steel Chambers to make a play. And then Ryan Day schemed it up for Emeka Egbuka to make a play. And it was Arkansas State, but that mattered to, right? That translate. That's like, okay, let's, they're finding ways to create opportunities for their players. And that I thought was like an incredibly valuable sequence, no matter who the opponent is. There's also an element to that that's like putting something on a film to give opponents things to think about. Because even last year, they were running a lot of those top, those jet sweep top uh, pop passes early in the season, and they started faking them once they tar- started to play like Penn State and stuff like that. Just because it's on film, and so it's something people have to think about. So now, when we do get to Wisconsin, when we do get to Michigan and Penn State and Iowa down the list here, we've seen what Knowles did, we've seen what they did. What does that look like against those teams? Because we're we're pretty sure that they're going to prepare for plays like that. I was listening to your rant pod, um, and. Tommy Eichenberg came up there and I had just written a piece for the morning about kind of looking at what Knowles has been calling these first couple of games as it relates to blitzes. And, and it, it came up, you know, somebody said like, I think we should stop comparing Eichenberg to tough Borland. And because in a lot of ways, that was how they talked about Eichenberg was a lot of those same um, try hard euphemisms and leadership and, and all those things, but they never used, tough Borland as a weapon, the way they're using Tommy Eichenberg as a weapon. Like it's kind of like, he's blitzing like multiple snaps in a row on some, uh, some possessions, like it, th- three times over the course of a, a single possession. Like he's blitzing a lot. Like they're bringing him as a weapon in the defense. And I, he has been maybe the biggest uh, signifier of the, change of this defense which gets back to what we talked about in the first segment a little bit you're looking at ways that this looks different feels different has a different vibe than what we saw last year when it didn't work and using him the way they have and really i think by by extension just the way the whole defense attacks is has been a a big signifier of that to me it feels like that the jack is really freeing up eichenberg because there'll be situations where Jack Sawyer is sort of floating next to Tommy Eichenberg and they're accounting for Sawyer. And then all of a sudden here comes Eichenberg untouched through a gap. And you can see there was obviously more Jack usage on Saturday. You can see that growing. You can see how it creates disruption. You can see how the offensive line doesn't know who's supposed to block who. And the result is guys are getting through gaps. So I thought scheming it up is important. We're seeing that both sides of the ball. And then there's the excellent individual plays. Mike Hall is just beating guys. My call is just beating guys off the jump. And Marvin Harrison Jr., the Arkansas State corners just had zero chance against him. They could not do anything. And they were running the ball. And if I think it was the second touchdown, Stephen, 
Marvin just ran right by the corner. He didn't even make a move on him, but you could see the safeties. Both safeties were kind of in the box at the snap, and it was a little bit of yeah. a play action. And they ran the play action. And as soon as this one safety recognized it was play action, he turned and started running <laughs> down the field. And it was like, dude, you are 25 yards too late on this. Yeah. And Marvin ran right by the corner. Marvin ran in a straight line for 50 yards and CJ put it on his hands. And that was it. Now, I don't know if that'll work against Riley Moss in Iowa. I don't know if that'll work against Joey Porter in Penn State. It sure as heck worked against Arkansas State. But all day, Stephen, Marvin was dominating individual matchups, which is all you can ask of a young player in that situation. You got to play the guy you're playing. They had no prayer of covering him. And it didn't feel like they ever got to much of a wrinkle where it's like, well, let's make sure we have some help on him. Because they were worried enough about the run game. They were worried enough about it. Mecca Buka. Ryan Day was scheming it up enough. His first, um, was it the touchdown? I guess it was the first touchdown. They had trips to the left, which mm-hmm. leads single coverage to the right. Right. They were presenting opportunities for Marvin Harrison to get in one-on-one coverage. And if it was one-on-one coverage against Arkansas State, Marvin Harrison could have had 60 catches because they were never going to cover him. And that matters. Yeah, I, I said it on the post-game pod. It got to, they played a lot of single high co- uh, coverage in that game, Arkansas State did, and it almost got to the point where if it looked like single high, I would just say Marvin. It's every single time it was a touchdown. I, you're right. We'll see if it works against better corners and stuff like that. But the point of the matter is, from a mental standpoint, what happened the last two weeks, and I know we hate silver lining conversations, but less of a silver lining conversation and just more of a Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka needed the last two weeks. They needed to know that they could do this. Because now you're plopping Jacka Smith and the Jigba back into this with everybody already knowing that Marvin can win one-on-one coverage on the backside of a formation the way X receiver is supposed to do. A Mecca can turn a, you know, a seven-yard pass play into a 51-yard touchdown the way we thought he could do. Even if it was against you know non, a non-consequential competition like Arkansas State, we just needed to see that stuff. So when you plop in the best receiver in the country as you get into more competition, we know that's in the back of people's heads, but also opponents know that's in the back of people's heads. And even if you are trying to sell out on Jackson Smith the Jigba, a defensive coordinator has to do that while also knowing the other weapons can be dangerous as well. Nathan, one of the things that people are concerned about is this idea, which is happens all the time in college football, playing down to the level of competition. This is John in Missouri from the 806. I'm tired of Ohio State playing down to the schools they play. I understand they're going to always get a team's best shot, but I feel like they're vastly more talented than the majority of college programs. It's just laughable how they're not reaching these 50-point spreads with the talent on offense and, and the defensive philosophy that Jim Knowles is implementing. This isn't the only game, the Arkansas State game, where um, we've seen this kind of effort from the Buckeyes. Maybe it's a combination of eight, 18 to 20-year-olds not entirely being focused on the opponent or the coaches trying different things as a tune-up. But uh, I desire Ohio State to attain the national respect similar to the SEC Blue Bloods, but efforts like this create doubts in others' minds. So, Nathan, how do you, back to sort of the idea of how we try to take it into account, how do you, what do you think about the idea? And we might see it on Saturday night. This is going to be a weird one. And we'll save the Toledo preview for the Toledo preview, but they're probably the best team in the MAC. But it's still the MAC. It's I think literally the first night game in the history of Toledo's program. It's for Ohio State. It's like why is this a night game? I don't know. It's gonna be weird playing down to competition, Nathan. What do you think of it? How do you try to evaluate it? 
maybe their first Saturday night game, and I'm sure they've played. Oh, like on a Wednesday. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. 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 have to, have to no, play some action. Right. It's definitely their first network game, uh, so it's a huge deal for them. Listen, I mean, Toledo might be the best team they've played so far. <laughs> Sorry, Notre Dame. Um, Toledo should have beaten Notre Dame last year. Right. That right. is not a joke right. at all. Right. Toledo had them on the ropes last year. That should have won. So I'm not. I'm not telling people not to think. I'm not telling people to ignore the point spread because now we have a podcast where we very much want you to be aware of the point spread. <laughs> But when you're evaluating a team, forget the point spread. Um, because again, people thought I was being, I definitely got some texts like, Hey, aren't you, you're being a little negative about, I read your story coming out of that. And, and you, you thought they played awful. Like I picked Ohio state to be, I picked Arkansas state to beat that spread. I picked Arkansas state to, 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 yeah, to beat the spread, to, to come in. Um, to, I gave Arkansas state in the points in that game. And I still made the same analysis I did. I didn't think Ohio State was going to cover that spread. I still gave the same analysis I did. So it's not really about that. The the point spread is detached from what our expectation should be of how a game plays out. And I know that can be confusing, but it's true. So I, although I, I, but I do think it has influenced things a little bit. Like they're supposed to, somebody asked after the, the Notre Dame game, if Ohio State had only been favored by three and a half and they won by 11, that would be seem like a better win and i was like yeah but that would also mean that notre dame was better and i think that's also been borne out a little bit so that that's where it's part of the messiness early on is everybody is still trying to figure out who's good and how good the good is and that that applies to us too i think for ohio state it's important to get through these early stages um the way they have because again Another sign of progress, another way you evaluate this team, and we asked it after the Notre Dame game, I think, was like, does last year's team win that game? I don't know if they do against even the same team. We know they last year's team couldn't beat Oregon, but I wonder if even that Notre Dame game would have been a problem for them at that stage of a season. And you can see the progress that's happened in a calendar year. This is someone who liked the Arkansas State game from the 419. I don't understand why people think the Buckeyes didn't play well on Saturday. I don't know how else to describe a whooping other than what happened. They were getting 30 plus yard chunk run plays, two to four play TD drives, and the defense was everywhere. There were some penalties that seemed to cut the momentum, but it all ended well. The defense didn't even allow a touchdown. In my opinion, they had a near flawless win. I don't get how it's being viewed otherwise. So, like, there are some people that are thinking that, and then there are some people who are thinking things like this from the 319. I can't shake the feeling that we aren't as good as everyone thinks. It just seems like we are winning, but winning ugly and not as decidedly as I had anticipated or hoped for. Steven, how can fans of the same team be so divided on their view of where this team is right now? Which is, again, is why we're talking about this. We're trying to express this. Uh, I'm divided within the, my own sentence about this team sometimes. Yeah. So like, that's those, just where we are. Those two things could be from the same person, like over the course of a game. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think so. The Arkansas state part is let's take Alabama's Utah state win the 55 to no, nothing win. When Alabama plays teams of that caliber, they do what Alabama is supposed to do as the more dominant team. And they emphatically, whoop their butts as a PGA way of saying it. Ohio state really in the day era for them outside of that Miami of Ohio game 
sometimes they play around with these teams that they don't have any business. They play with their food a little you, too much. You think that's, do you think that's playing down to the level of competition? Yes. And so what it does is it creates situations like Saturday where it's like, this is a, this is a series of offensive like um, um, possessions from the second quarter on three and out where you had negative two yards, three, three plays, 75 yards, touchdowns, three and out where you only had two yards, three, three play drive for 75 yards in a TD, two plays, 59 yards in a TD, three and out where you had negative three yards. And then the, you tried to eat up the clock with the seven play 75 minute job. And then you had the three and out where you only had one yard. So it's like inconsistent offensive play. And it's like, if to the point of one person can say that they'll look at that three play 75 yard touchdown drive and go, and then look at the three play two yard drive and go, why can't you do the 75 yard TD thing every time against Arkansas state every single time, because Bama and Georgia are doing it. So I do think this came up a lot last year. Ohio state is so explosive that they can score in 10 seconds on any play, any moment. Trevion Henderson, Emeka Egbuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba when he gets healthy, Mayan Williams breaking tackles, CJ Stroud figuring something out and moving around and creating openings. And all of a sudden there's Xavier Johnson behind coverage, right? Any number of ways. Again, Nathan, that also makes it hard to, because you have that in the back of your head. And sometimes I think people almost want a drive. I don't want another 60 yard touchdown. I want to see him put together a 10 play drive, right? Because sometimes, Ohio State's so good at it, they can make it seem easy. When it's like, oh, what happened on that play? It's like, I don't know. Marvin Harrison Jr. ran down the sideline in single coverage and then cut across the middle of the field and caught the ball, and the safety took a little bit of a wonky angle, and it was a 40-yard touchdown, and it looked like the easiest thing you ever saw, but it takes hundreds of reps and extreme precision and great pass protection and a perfect ball by CJ Stroud and a great route by Marvin Harrison Jr. And all the work in the weight room and all these things to make it happen. But sometimes Nathan, when they're so good, it looks easy. You can almost take it for granted, but that I think we do realize that most teams do not have that explosiveness in their back pocket. You know, who doesn't have that explosiveness in their back pocket this year, Bama. Bama had one touchdown run for 81 yards on Saturday. They had 23 other rushing plays for 80 yards. So they had like, that was, and like that one touchdown was like their only touchdown until like the end of the game when Bryce Young let them down. Like it was, they had nothing. So Nathan, I do think we have to, that's always almost like it's, I don't even know. It's not the equalizer. It's the thing that puts them over the top that whatever's happening in Ohio state game, they might score a 75 yard touchdown on the next play. And we try to factor that into what we do too, because we know it's there. Yeah, and it's it's just a matter of it's there in general. It's there less against better teams. So then that's where the other analysis comes in. Are you playing well enough in other facets, whether it's defense, whether that's efficiency, whether that's you know discipline? It, what was the worst game Ohio State played last year? I would argue that it wasn't the two games that they lost, although they didn't play well enough to win those games, obviously. Also. It was the Tulsa game. The Tulsa mm-hmm. game was the worst game they played all year, and they won 41-20. to 20. And if you come out of that game uh, with positive thoughts about anything other than how good the receivers are, which we knew already, I mean, we came out of that game wondering what was wrong with CJ Stroud and we found out soon what it was and it got fixed. 
And, you know, you're, you're coming out of the game with, with lingering concerns about a defense that was in turmoil. And that's not happening right now. I don't think we come out of Arkansas State with that level of panic. I don't know if we were, we were, it was borderline, borderline panic, I think, last year, especially as it related to CJ Stroud. So I don't think you're coming out of this juncture of the season with that kind of like hair on fire uh, worry. So I think that again is a, is a way to to analyze this. I, I was trying to find the best words after the game. I was trying to decide between uh, sloppy ex- explosiveness and explosive sloppiness. And uh, I think the first the day, one is better. I think the first one is the second one. Well, exactly. The day before, uh, I was Fair I was enough. home alone with uh, my son. I had to take him to a doctor's appointment. And right before I noticed that uh, he needed a change because there was uh, evidence on the back of his diaper. And then when I went to lay him down to change the diaper, I noticed that it was also evidence on the front of the diaper. Like it had come out the, uh, come out on the tummy side, like that's explosive sloppiness. So uh, Ohio State wasn't poopy. They were just, they were still explosive. They just did it in a sloppy way. And I think the sloppiness undercuts the explosiveness against a better team. Um, go ahead. Go ahead and finish that. No, the no, no, no. I, I think we're done with the diaper analogies. Are we done with the diaper? Is there any more right, yeah, okay. diaper analogy we want to do? No, we're good. Go ahead, Steve. Cool. All right, cool. That's what I was making sure. Can I, can I, I ask wanna... a question? Can I ask a question? Have you ever um, changed a diaper, Steven? No. I didn't know you could have, I don't no. know, you could have yeah, cousins that, or a, friends yeah. or nieces. No, I've, no, I've never changed maybe you, it before. Maybe you babysat. Okay. No, my, my, my child is going to be the first time I, I touch a diaper. Even then, like, I don't know, man. No, I'm not changing. They, they, I feel like we're on the cusp. We're on the cusp of this is the sequel to the pizza eating. It's like Stephen Mead's <laughs> diaper changing. Um, I one time was in a diaper changing competition at Disney World. I don't know why that was were. a ride. I don't know why that was a ride. <laughs> it's like, you. hey, these people, they paid to get in the park. Anything else we could have them do to distract them from the fact that the chicken fingers cost $20? It's like, how about a diaper changing competition? It was like, I think that guy over there would love that. I lost, by the way. Were you changing diapers on like the retirees that flood to Florida? <laughs> I was. It was out. It was outside a, a restroom of yeah. It was oh, a, a list ooh. of strangers. Okay, never mind. I have changed, helped change a diaper before. It just wasn't a baby. It was a oh, it was my grandma. Oh, well, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, football okay, I, stuff. Anyway, I, I got real. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> no, I was just doing like I was just doing like babies are crazy. Hey, babies are crazy. <laughs> I mean, oh, old people are crazy know? too, man. Like they, they, yeah. They well, that's fun. very nice. Of, what a, what a nice grandson you were. Thank yeah, you. That's right. Um, what was so the anyway, point? I saw, so, so let me do this. Place. Um, yes. Let me just say this one. We were having a discussion on how often Ohio state was scoring touchdowns in the red zone versus like explosive plays before the off season. They have two touchdowns in the red zone. They had the mine Williams run against uh, Notre Dame. And then they had the Trey Van Henderson eight yard touchdown against Arkansas state. All the other touchdowns they've had have been from 20 yards or further with the shortest being the 24 yarder to Xavier Johnson. I think like, and that's fine that some of that is competition of playing some of that is Ohio state, but also you hear this a lot in sports, like the idea if you can't, you know, turn the light switch on and off, because eventually when you go to try to turn it on, it's not going to go on. And that's what the Oregon and Michigan games were last year. Eventually when they needed to turn the light switch on, it wouldn't go on. And they never had those explosive moments. And I and do, so that's it, what we're talking about here. It's like, it's cool that you got explosive plays against Arkansas State. 
make sure you're not turning that on and off. So when you play Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, when you go to flip them on, they don't happen for you. So I will say, I don't know if there would have been somebody who would have listened to the Tulsa postgame pod a year ago and said, why are you guys so critical? Why are you so worried about the defense? Why are you so critical of the quarterback? And then the quarterback had surgery and all the defensive coaches got fired. And it was like, no, that was a, that was a correct, right? Nathan, like that's, that was correct criticism after a win, because those were things that these things need to be fixed and they eventually got fixed. And then we saw how much better they were after they got fixed. You fix CJ's shoulder, you bring in Jim Knowles and all of a sudden stuff looks better. So there have been times over the years where I definitely have felt like something was coming. I think in 15, you felt it. We were very, I was very critical in 15. I had many conversations. I can remember early in that season having a, a, not intense or heated, but having a discussion with Taylor Decker after a game where Taylor Decker was sort of like, what are we doing here? We're winning. And all we do after every win is you guys come in and criticize and ask us what's wrong and we're undefeated. And it was sort of like, yeah, but it's not good enough. And then they lost to Michigan state and blew their chance to repeat as national champions. And you don't want to say see, but there was a reason that we were looking at it that way because they were playing beneath their own standard. And they were playing beneath the standard that was required over 12 or 13 weeks to get them to the playoff. When they finally ran into, into a team in Michigan State that was well coached, could do a couple things. The weather was weird. All of a sudden, it caught up to them. I think it was in 09. I thought I felt it coming. Terrell Pryor's second year, and I think I picked Ohio State to lose to Wisconsin at home because I just thought it was coming. I thought there was something off with the team. And then they handled Wisconsin easily. And it was like, well, Doug was wrong on that. And then they lost at Purdue the next week. And I didn't pick that, but I wasn't a thousand percent shocked because I thought being around the team, watching them play, watching how they were talking and acting and executing, I thought I felt it was coming. That's not where I am with this team. I I am not looking over the horizon being like, oh my gosh, they are. If they keep doing this, they're going to, that's not where I am. Not at all. I just think it could be better in certain areas. So there's a couple things that I want to get to. And there's the stat that I've been teasing. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right. A couple more from the texters. Some people had, these are rants, right? I say, send me rants. So these aren't short sometimes from the 513. Am I the only one who is actually concerned that there are real problems with the offense? I know Jackson Smith and Jigba isn't playing and he may solve the concerns I have, but it seems like many of the past years, 2019 excluded, When there have been concerns at the beginning of the year on either side of the ball, people say they will get it figured out. It's early. They have the talent, et cetera. And then the problem is still there. 2016, it was a lack of offensive weapons. The Clemson semifinal exposed that. 2017, it's the quarterback dynamic. Um, The middling offense probably, now I'm losing it, but there was kind of like 2017, is the quarterback play good enough? 2018, it was a defense giving up big plays, right? and being confused about what to do. And we saw that defense never got fixed in 2018. 2020, it was that um, the defense didn't get the play from the linebackers that they needed, and the defense seemed confused. 2021 is basically the same as 2020. Anyway, the point, this is a long rant, and I appreciate it all from the 513. Nathan, the point is that sometimes, and here's the thing with Ohio State, as much as we're often wondering if this is a problem, sometimes you do kind of assume it'll get fixed. Because why? Well, because they have good players and coaches. Like it's Ohio state. Like you can assume that, but I think I, 
I think this texture makes a good point that you can't assume things away, right? Even though it is Ohio State, you can't just assume it away. Another quick one from the 937. Why does it seem like Ohio State is always right there, but just can't get it? Always something is getting in the way. Um, it just seems like there's something every year. So, you know, again, this is now that Nathan is only like a national title discussion. They're very, very good. Most programs would kill to be Ohio State. But I know like I sort of do get where the people who are worried, maybe in quotation marks, Nathan, I, I understand what they're saying, because there is some past history to say if the goal is a national championship, assuming the problem areas will get fixed, that hasn't always worked. Yeah, I think. I, it's it's hard to have this discussion. Like I keep just taking myself back to how watching how last year played out and, and how many of the things that we look back on that team and say we're deficient and already how many things seem like they're better or are progressing in a tangible way. But I also think, again, only two games in, it's it, we have an incomplete evaluation of this team with with – Jackson Smith and Jigman not playing. And uh, I think that also throws off a little bit uh, whether you can make an absolute declaration of any kind about this offense, just because of how critical he is to the way that every team will play against Ohio state. So how much harder is it to do things? Because when you take Jackson Smith and Jigba off the field, now defenses can approach you in a different way. I think that's a worthwhile question to ask. I don't think anybody thinks of Ohio State. I guess this is the better question. If if Jackson Smith the Jigba had been able to go to the NFL draft after last year and had done it, so he just he wasn't coming into this year. Uh, would we still have picked Ohio State to a make the playoff or b like been a national championship contender? Because if so. Because if the not, playoff, yes, but to lose the semifinal, yes, as well. I would, I, I would have, yeah, knocked him down a step, one mm-hmm. step, not and be bad, have, not be bad, right. but not go as far as I think they can go. Right. So we we haven't seen the national championship potential version of Ohio State has only been on the field for like sixteen Literally, snaps, and even that, it's like um, and I don't a know, compromised been, version. Some of that, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. So. To respond to the texture, one, they brought up 17 and 18. Those had like those teams had inerrant flaws where even two games into the season, you knew, yep, that's an issue. This team's not going to get it done. And it became a situation of like, can they overcome that? Because JT at 2017, JT Barrett is what he is. That defense is what it is, especially after you lose Nick Bosa. I mean, for God, Christ's sakes. And even 2021, it's the same situation. All those are like, can Ohio State still compete despite those things that you can't fix by the time you get to November? I don't – two games in this year, I don't know if we can point to that thing for Ohio State. Because even like the penalties, a yeah. lot of those are just like discipline. You know, like uh, um, unsportsmanlike conducts and false – those are discipline penalties. You can live with – uh, PI sometimes getting a DPI is actually better than giving up a 40 yard touchdown anyway, because at least you didn't give up points, but those are discipline p- penalties that should get fixed as the season goes on. And as Nathan just said, Jackson Smith, the Jigba is coming back. It's this, this is not a Nick Bosa situation. And so yeah. 
because there's no like thing after two games where we go, eh, that might be a problem. And we're not asking Day and Knowles about this thing. And they're telling us, oh, this is going to get fixed. That's why you can have a little bit more optimism with this team in comparison to maybe 21 and 18 and 17. And even I, 20, I'll throw them in the way as well. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Because almost all, I think every year since 14, that they, you know, since their last national title, that they didn't get it done, you could describe what held them back in one sentence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is one sentence for this team. It's just, it's with this team, it's more like, eh, I just think they probably could be playing a little better. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe the sentence is Jackson Smith and Jigba is hurt. Right. But I don't know that it's like you said, Stephen, like an inherent thing. 15, it's like they had too many playmakers and didn't know what to do. They couldn't yep. get the offense figured out because they had too many playmakers. 16, they have no playmakers. Curtis Samuel is the whole offense. And that winds up catching up to them. 17, they can't throw the ball. You think the way they need to throw the ball. And I thought they should have benched JT after the Oklahoma loss and they didn't. And are they even playing the right quarterback? And they wind up losing the game to Iowa. They can't lose because JT throws four picks 18. The defense is a problem from the jump. What Greg Shiano was doing. Nobody can explain 19. They're good. Like, like 19. They're good. And they probably should have gone to the national title game. 20 was so weird. I don't like there were defensive issues, right? But those seemed early. Halfley's gone. Kerry Combs is in. It's so weird. It's that. And then again, the defensive issues last year, coupled with young quarterback early in the year and the run game there. I, I don't think, I think our main point is there's not a specific thing. There's not one. there's Nathan. You're not, would you say there is Nathan? No, but I'm saying that it, we have not, the reason there was one thing and it was apparent two games in the last year was because they played Oregon who could exploit it both in talent and coaching. And I don't think they've played that opponent yet. Well, uh, Notre Dame is even Dame 18, a little bit. In 18, the first two games were like Oregon state and what, like uh, Tulane or something. And Oregon state just scored 31 points. And everybody was like, yeah. Uh, why is Ohio state's defense giving up 31 points to Oregon state? So it, I don't even think the opponent matters so much. It's just the fact that whoever you were playing kept exposing that thing. And now yeah. because if somebody have a thing that is, has, has, has something in them that's good enough to expose it for 60 minutes instead of, you know, a quarter and a half. Yeah, no, I'm definitely I'm 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 not far from what you're saying, Doug, of where you, you think that like the, there isn't that um, glaring just kryptonite that's going to it's going to ruin this team. That yeah. doesn't seem like that right now. I don't I don't see any reason to believe that. And in fact, I kind of feel like the opposite. Like last year, offense, I'm just sort of setting aside until Smith and Jigba comes back. But that alone should tell you something, that they can have the kind of explosive day that they had. And they can do well enough to beat what is actually a pretty good Notre Dame defense to maybe go against what I was saying before. Like, so they set aside the offense. On defense, what was like the thing that we came out of last year talking about? It was things like just basic um, fundamental discipline, and and a, a defense that was sort of back on its heels instead of one that was on the attack and knew what it was doing and setting the tone and a lack of star power. Uh, both of those things have been answered, I think, in significant ways. So there's there's two more things I want to cover. So could it be and I know you guys talked about this on Tuesday. With Ryan Day and Jim Knowles, and I know you wrote about it, Nathan. Is the corner play maybe the thing? Because Denzel Burke did not have a good game. And the idea of like, Denzel Burke will be fine. Denzel Burke will be fine. Again, like on the rewatch, everybody saw it. He did not have a good game. He got beat on a double move. He was behind guys. He was 
you know, DPIs and the idea of like, oh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. It's like, well, why, why, why is that? Like that to me is assuming something that we don't have any real reason to 1000% assume it. Oh, well, he'll, it's just had a bad game. I, I don't know. And JK Johnson played a boatload in that game. Right. So, I mean, I'm looking at the PFF snaps. He had like, had was third most snaps yeah. of anybody on yeah. the defense. So we already knew they were short on depth at corner. We thought Denzel Brooke was their one. Cam Brown's their two. We're intrigued by Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson coming up. Big Ten is not a land of great quarterback play. I don't know. Maybe that's the one spot that that can you wrote, right? That was a, a topic of conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Denzel having um, a, a rough day. Yeah. No, it was absolutely a topic of conversation. And I thought more telling than what they were saying about Burke, which is kind of what I expected them to say that, you know, Jim Knowles isn't, isn't going to go up there and like give you a hug at the microphone. Um, he's going to go up there and say what he did, which is like, yeah, the guy was struggling. And this is what you do when a guy struggles, you get him out of the game, you kind of reassess, you put him back in. And he thought he played better once he went back and he did have a couple pass breakups. It wasn't like it was a, uh, um, a miserable day in all facets, but it was such a wildly inconsistent day in a way that we haven't really seen from him. Like he looked completely the, the, the forget the DPIs, like the, the long pass play down the sideline to the five foot five guy that he just looked like he had, was his first day playing cornerback almost. And we just haven't seen plays like that from him. Uh, Knowles did say, yeah, maybe the time he missed in preseason camp influences how he's playing right now. We don't know, but I thought the most telling thing was I asked Ryan Day, hey, Jordan Hancock has been in uniform the last couple of days. Like, how much can he help you? How quickly can he help you? That sort of thing. And he's and he I thought it was a very quick answer. Like, yeah, like we were expecting him to be a part of this right now. He's supposed to be on the field helping us play. We think he's good enough to help. So that's another factor in the cornerback play that the guy that we were hearing and seeing really good things from in the spring was really set back here like whatever was with his calf or whatever took him off of the field for at at a crucial time and to get it fully healthy they've held him out of these two games I'm really intrigued if he's going to play on Saturday they say they're expecting him to if he does the things that it looked like he might be able to do back in the spring that raises the level of play in that group I think to ask JK Johnson to do that right now is probably extending him against really good teams it's good that he's getting the experience he's getting right now those were important reps but they I think they need Hancock I think Hancock could be a difference maker for them there cornerback is an interesting thing to continue to pay attention to because I mean Denzel Burke wasn't good against Notre Dame either Uh, he wasn't that he wasn't very good against Michigan last year either no he was I mean he really hasn't been solid since the Purdue game if we're going to be honest here because I mean Michigan State was what it was Cameron Brown's been really solid and if he continues to hold up physically then I think they're solid there Um, I think cornerback play I think we should all hold judgment until we see Jordan Hancock but even if if he plays this week they said he expects him back as well so if he's playing this week and we get to see some of those flashes especially that we saw in the spring game I think that cleans that up because then it becomes another situation like we saw with Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom where it's like, all right, Denzel Burke's not playing well. We're just going to roll with Cam Brown and Jordan Hancock and call it a day. J.K. Johnson, 50 snaps against Arkansas State. Cam Brown, 48. Denzel Burke, 43. PFF grades taken with a grain of salt. J.K. Johnson, a 58.8, which is not good. Cam Brown, a 72.5, which is pretty good. And Denzel Burke a fifty nine point five, which is not good. So, what's their coverage that, grades though? Because I think that's like the more important. 
I thought Burks was same. actually going to be lower than that. I think a couple of PBUs helped. About the same. J.K. Johnson coverage, 58.2. Cam Brown okay. coverage, 72.5. Denzel Burke coverage, 58.8. Okay. I mean, that's that's almost what J.K. Johnson is supposed to be. It's his first time really playing. He missed all last yeah. year. Couldn't even practice from a lot of last year. Didn't play against Notre Dame. Like, I, I don't have a lot of judgment. No, 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 no. Johnson. But I but your your larger point is fair. It's and, and we knew that corner was was potentially an issue. The one saving grace was supposed to be that. Yeah, but at least they've got this freshman All-American here. He's about to take the next step. And that next step has been backwards. That's just, yeah, that is not, that is about the players that Ohio State put on the field to play outside corner on Saturday. It's not a call out of individual players. This is about the defense, right? So let's keep that in mind. And now we'll finally get to the stat that I've been teasing all, all day. Do you know how many games last year Ohio State punted five times or more last year? Three. Oh, might not even five times or more. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I would I would bet it was Nebraska. I would bet it was maybe Penn State, Michigan or Oregon. I would say I would say two, zero. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, do you know how many times they punted five times or more this year? Both, both games. games, both yeah, games, both they games. punted, they punted five times. So last year, this is a stat. I don't know if this is a stat. Last year, they had 70 offensive touchdowns and 31 punts. I don't know. That seems like a good thing, right? You take out the turnovers, you take out going forward on fourth down and not making it. It's you go take away field goals, take away missed field goals, touchdown to punt, offensive touchdowns, offensive touchdown to punt ratio. 70 to 31. This year, they have nine offensive touchdowns and 10 punts. Now, I'll give them one of the punts is the McCord series. McCord got one series at the end of the game. We covered that a lot on the rant pod. Hey, why don't they take out CJ sooner? So I won't give them give them that. So it's nine to nine with the ones. Nine offensive touchdowns, nine punts. Is that anything, Nathan? Because I think it is a contributing factor to our perception of, hey, the offense doesn't seem like it's clicking like it did a lot of the time last year because they didn't punt last year. And they're punting this year like a normal team. It was clunky. It's been clunky these first couple games. And again, part of it was, I think, Notre Dame, as inept as they are offensively, and I think that's a fair word to use uh, <laughs> um, by their standard, they're actually pretty solid defensively. We knew that going in. So it's and as Steven read off, it's it's just the weird balance between uh, game breaker and three and out and then game breaker and then three and out. And the way they just sort of trade off there, that doesn't make a lot of sense, especially considering the team you're playing. Uh, So. I don't know that I look at that and say yet that it is I don't look at that the same way that I look at last year where it seemed like it doesn't it's not a systemic failure the way the defense was a systemic failure right like two right. games in the last year that defense felt like this is just not this is not right they have not set this up right they have not picked the personnel right they're not coaching it right they're not making adjustments in game right like there was nothing going right defensively through the Tulsa game really i mean it, that was when they first started to make some reparations and 
repairs. And on offense right now, it just feels like, again, no Jackson Smith and Jigba. New guys, new places. It's it's a little bit off. What? Just to look at it from a different perspective, can that also be a sign of confidence in the defense that they clearly didn't have last year? No. Three and outs are not a sign of confidence in the defense. No, 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 no. Just like the decision to punt for it and, instead of going for it. Because they did go for it on fourth down a lot, especially once they got past 50. I mean, they were past the 50 against Notre Dame and they punted. And we were all kind of like, what? Yeah, but that was did one. They did they, were, there, were there a bunch of times against Arkansas State where you thought they were going to go for it and they punted? Or did they just go three and out and punt it? No, they just went three and out. Yeah. but I, So I, I know what you're saying. I don't think it's applicable other than that one instance that you're noting against Notre Dame. I just wanted to throw that out there just as well. But then, also, yeah, I mean, the offense is weird right now. And it goes back know. to what you said off the top, Stephen. You were reading off. Yeah. Three play touchdown drive, three and out. Boomer bust it, right now. Boomer bust. This offense. And and I'm sure like Ryan Day is not thrilled by that, right? They want to be boom and consistent. Yes. So, and is that so? I would say in the end, the closest two games in, two games in, two games in. But guess what? And this is one of those things that sometimes when people are like, why is like, well, do you want us to just not podcast until like October? It's like, you know what? Let's let this season play out a little bit. We did all this stuff in the preseason. Enjoy the games. We'll start writing stories and podcasting in week seven. And that way we'll have a good foundation. No, we're going to react to what we see. So I think the closest that anything is, is 2015, which is we know you're good. Why aren't you playing a little bit better? Now, they were barely beating Hawaii and Northern Illinois that year. That is not what is happening here, okay, two games in. But the general thing of, boy, do you have a lot of talented players. I just honestly honestly thought it'd look a little smoother. Like, this is probably 35% of what everybody was feeling in 2015. So, and there's not the quarterback controversy, any of that stuff. I get it. And there's a very real reason Jackson Smith and Jigba's hurt. So that's that what makes that's what makes it different too. But that's just the bottom line, Nathan. Is like we just thought you're so good, it would be a little better. That's it. Yeah. I, and again, I, I think we wouldn't have assumed though that it would have looked as smooth if we knew Jackson Smith the Jigba wasn't going to play. That's that is a huge contributing factor here. So I, I was trying to decide like what year best describe this because it's certainly not what last year was, where you had one side of the ball that just seemed broken and like and then now it's panic and it's like how do you fix this on the roll um, and rearrange your coaching staff and all the turmoil that comes with that. But it's also not. I remember the day that you stopped being nine and three, Doug, in 2019, and it was uh, when. Uh, no, I was going to say it was the uh, the Cincinnati game. It was, from what I remember, mm-hmm. it was, they opened with, uh, in 2019, they opened Florida Atlantic. That was the, uh, I think, was that the replacement game for the TCU game? Uh, they had signed Florida Atlantic for a while. I think it was, who were their three non-conference in 19? Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, and Miami of Ohio. I think it might have been Miami of Ohio. Was. Okay. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, so 45 to 21 was the opener, whatever. Uh, Justin Fields looked pretty good, whatever. And then they beat a Cincinnati team that that year went, 11 and three and they beat them 42 to nothing. And I remember I was actually gone for that game. I had to go to a wedding. It was my second game and I wasn't here, but uh, I remember after that game, you were like, no, I was wrong. Like this, this is like a juggernaut. Right. And we also don't think that yet. Right. So it's not, it's not that, but it's also not last year. I think what you're talking about is right. And 
the difference though is that I think 2014, no, the 2015, we had you were comparing them to a standard that a lot of those same players had set. Yes. And right now, that's not necessarily what you're comparing it to. This is still a a group of guys that is developing into what the team they'll eventually be, the best version that they could be, whereas 2014 was trying to sustain, 2015 was trying to sustain the best version. Okay. I think that was the conversation I wanted to have. I think we tried to talk out how, how we get to the point where we think about this team, what we think. So, and, and add some perspective to it. And I will say at least to some degree, there's a lot of last year that doesn't apply. Obviously second year quarterback who's healthy. That's different. New defensive coordinator. That's different, right? There's a lot of better things are in place for this team, but we are coming off a year where a lot of people last year thought Ohio state was going to go to the playoff and they lost two regular season games and two regular season losses for Ohio state is very unusual. So we're not coming in with like, Oh man, they got this right. There's a little bit of that. They've got to prove it a little bit. Not that they're not good. Of course they're good. They're always good. They're proving again that they're playoff caliber. So that's all. They're not coming up 2015. And what was really weird about it was, you just beat Alabama and beat the Heisman Trophy winner and won the national championship and brought everybody back. So even when we were presented with, man, why aren't you better? There was such force behind it, right? What are you talking about? They're filled with NFL future NFL draft picks and they're the defending national champs. How can you doubt them? That's not what this team is, right? They're very, very good but I do think it's interesting things to see. And we're going to have another version of this on Saturday night. So enjoy the post game pod where we're like, I don't know, 63 to three, but Oh, everybody loves those. I, uh, I think if they beat this Toledo team, 63 to three, I think that would be pretty impressive. That's a pretty quality win. Yeah. Cause Toledo's actually pretty solid. Even for a max goal. Just for effect. I will, butt a 63 to three win on Saturday <laughs> night, just to make people, just to give the people who think we're critical for no reason, uh, a little fodder. Okay. That's this podcast. Friday pod game preview. The three of us talking about Toledo. We'll also have the information, the latest info from what we heard on Thursday afternoon from Ryan day, latest info from what we got with, you know, from the players on Wednesday night, we're going to save that all for the Friday pod. We'll talk about Toledo, right? We already did the big Toledo preview Briggs and Roland came and sat in my office and everybody was like, why are they so far away from the microphone? And I know that you, I know Roland that you did the dispatch podcast this week. Don't think I don't know that you did it, Roland. So like uh, you're on my list when you you can't just come on Buckeye talk and then go on other podcasts. We own your rights, Roland. So I see it and I'm aware of it and I'm not happy about it, but we're not having you on again. Cause we already had you on this summer. We mostly talked about whether we think urban Meyer was going to be the Toledo coach one day. I don't even know if we mentioned that. And someone's cousin, I think Roland's cousin plays for Toledo. That was the analysis of that game. Will Urban be Toledo's coach next year? And how good is Kyle Rowland's cousin? And by the way, Toledo is actually like the 53rd best team in college football. So we'll analyze the actual game this week. And then also on Friday, as usual, you guys are getting used to it now. Tishu nailed the under last week. That was his big, the the bet he really liked for Ohio State. The Ohio State under, he got that right. We do a separate gambling pod. Good reaction to it so far. Make sure you guys catch that on Friday as well. That'll be two Buckeye Talks on Friday, Saturday, post-game pod in the wee hours after this prime time starts. For Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was 
Buckeye Talk.